Welcome to Revive Ministry Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. His name is Robert Gallant. I have known him in passing from attending some communion meetings with him. He is an author. He is um, he's working to become a peer support specialist. I know there's he's married. I know he ha, um, I know a little bit about him, but I also know about some of his story. I know it's an inspiring one. And as for as a story of faith and his road to recovery, thank you, Robert, for agreeing to be a guest with us today. Oh, it's an honor and a pleasure, Robert. I always like to start each episode with a quote, you know, just to set this tone. And this quote comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson. It says, the only person you, you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. I do a holistic recovery group and I, what I find with people is that through my recovery is that we, that finding meaning, you know, the, the idea of finding the why in your life is very important. It's part of like that transitional, you know, the willingness is just to get the help is like the first little bits of steps that you do to get that. But you know, finding meaning is very important and um, the idea that when you know the why and the how gets bearable. The, the guy that I got this reference from was Viktor Frankl, and I'm reading his book, Man Finding Meaning. He was a prisoner in Auschwitz, and he just describes this horrible experience, but he says that meaning is very conducive of going through any traumatic. You know, a lot of us go through trauma that have, you know, I have PTSD and certain things like that. So even trauma or events in your life, you know, even going through your recovery can be taxing, but when we know the meaning, of, if we have a why in our life, um, it does help. What, what are your thoughts on this quote and, and what I've been sharing right now, Robert? Uh, well, th this quote is amazing. It's actually one of my favorite ones because I, I'm, I'm big on choices. Uh, one of my books is actually called The Black Hole Effect, The Power of Choice. I wrote a um, sort of like a small group discussion group to help people um, make better choices based on my own history and also examples I've seen in science, history, you name it, it's in there. And we all have a decision to make a choice about what our path is going to be. We all have choice over uh, what we're going to look at, what we're going to listen to, uh, what we're going to do. Uh, we all have that power. And, you know, sometimes when we're either in addiction, when we're um, suffering from symptoms of our mental health issues physical health issues we feel powerless mm -hmm. and for me i had to learn that the feelings don't define me it's the facts that define me the fact that i have a choice the facts that i have a decision to make every single second of every single day and that has empowered me to take this rocky road of recovery to become the person that I know that I am meant to be and that I am. You know, um, there's a quote, you know, you just, you just remind me of what you were saying. It's from Nelson Mandela. It says, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. You know, it's just, it's, it's the idea is that we don't numb ourselves. You know, just because it's getting tough, it's the idea of when you're really getting to the later parts of recovery, and it's a journey. It's never we never make it. You know, we just continue to find better coping skills. Our lives change. Our why changes. It's this idea that it's not like we're not afraid. It's not like these feelings don't happen. We don't have. We do have bad days. We do have good days. But the thing is that we keep getting up. You know what I mean? We keep doing. You know, it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get up that matter, you know? So um, that's what um, I find, you know, I was switching gears, you know, when I got diagnosed and I realized I need, really needed help, there was always a sense of loss, you know? At least for me, I, I felt the, that loss very deeply. And now I'm just, you know, one of the questions I ask myself now is this one question I ask my groups a lot of times when there's these, you know, when they're struggling with anger or these strong emotions is what do you think you've lost or what did you not get that you expected or desired to have? You can peel that as much as you can. And sometimes it's, it's kind of very painful, but sometimes the pain that you go through and flushing these things out 
can be the biggest growing experience. Why fine? Oh, I I agree completely. Um, now, would you like me to answer this question? Yeah, just, I just want to. Uh, yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts. You know, obviously, we're just having just a discussion on these kind of topics. You know, the, the, when it comes to recovery, you know, be it um, substance or mental health or both, dual diagnosis. You know, these kind of struggles are really real. You know, everyone looks at this very differently, and. Um, you know, if you are depending on someone else to give you that validation, you are going to be, it's going to be a rude awakening. That's why having that foundation and having that why, and then surrounding yourself with people that are supportive. You know, the thing is, um, you know, we are not islands either. So it's that kind of shift. You can't just sit there and like, I'm going to do it by myself. Everyone else I don't care about. You do care. And that's the point. You do really care. So, um, Absolutely. I'd have to say, um, I mean, I've definitely lost many things uh, due to my addiction and mental health struggles. Uh, One of the major things I lost was the ability to be with my mother in the final months of her life to be by her side. You know, I was I was heavily addicted to alcohol and just did not have the capability to be there for her. Mm -hmm. I know. Thankfully, I have a cousin that was there for her and her final moments. But, um, you know, her son, me, was absent from her life. And and that's something that, you know, for me, why my personal faith is so important, that even though it is a physical loss for the time being, I have faith that I will see her again in yeah. the resurrection. In my, you know, my Christian faith, that's just what personally uh, helps keep me together, that I know the story isn't over. Yeah. I know that, yeah. So, uh, and, and you know, there I could go over a list of losses, thousands yeah. of pages long, but yeah. it would all amount to the same thing for me because of my faith that I know that they will all be worked out eventually. So, you know, all these losses will turn into gains at one point. Exactly. It's this uh, this idea from the same guy that I use the same quote, Nelson Mandela says, "May our may our choices reflect our hopes, not our fears." Whether you're a Christian or whatever you believe in. You know, when you make your choices always out of fear, you're just boxing yourself in the corner. You know, ultimately, you're not going to know every single little bit or corner when you make a decision to do, to put yourself out there. And, you know, relationships are risk, let's be honest. But at the same time, they're one of the most rewarding things in our lives. The one things we hold on to dearly, that's the one thing that really matter. You know, me being, um, uh, I was a head elder at one point first elder at my church and one of the things i noticed is that the people who are like struggling or about to you know die a lot of times they didn't talk about the stuff they owned or the titles they had they talked about the people they were around you know that's what matters you know it's not about any of the other stuff so it's just it made me see as a young person you know you know what really matters at the end of the day you know you go to these wonderful places around the world but you want to share it with someone, don't you? You know, it's just one of those things. It's one of those things we try to lie to ourselves, but you know, that's why you know, it's um, it's fundamentally, you know, when we are able to be thankful for what we have. You know, like you were saying, um, I could spit out a bunch of people I lost or things that have happened to me, but at the end of the day, it's that meaning, it's that faith that I have and that you're describing that kind of builds on that hope, reflecting, making our choices out of hope versus fear because at the end of the day you know we just make our choices out of fear and be so analytical and then we burn our bridges with the people we surround ourselves it does really become a little bit bleak so um any comment or anything before we get into your story i just i don't want to take away from your your story recovery i'm really um excited to, to hear about it and also i'm sure the listeners are anticipating that so anything you want to add to what i just said or comment uh, I just do have a quick comment. It's it's really cool how um, my faith works in my life. I always something that is always very important that I need to listen to. I always hear numerous times within a two or three day period, and this is probably the fourth time I've heard about not acting or making choices from a place of fear. Uh, I, I listened to a sermon the other day from Joyce Myers, and she was talking about making decisions from a place of rest, you know, mm-hmm. about the Sabbath rest and the 
Christian uh, Judaic faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that, that's what comes from relationships, whether it be us, me and you speaking or uh, having a long distance relationship with someone you may never speak with that you just watch on TV. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to make that quick comment uh, to just share that. It's just, I love when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just so cool. <laughs> it is because, you know, honestly, when you're thankful, when you have gratitude in your life, it provides room for healing. When you forgive people, you know, even if they've done you wrong, you know, even if you, um, even if you don't get, reconcile, the only person that need the only need person you need to forgive, to to have forgiveness is yourself. Just one person. You hope for reconciliation, but forgiveness allows room for healing. You know what I mean? That's all it does. Like these things are fundamental things that I find very, very induce very, very much a positive thing that someone could put into their recovery and in their lives whether they're mentally ill or not because honestly when you're grateful and you're not entitled you bet you begin to see things differently and begin to treat people differently and um that's that's what i wanted to share but now without further delay robert you know would you share with those listening your story of recovery you know your story is called the rocky road of recovery Yes, the rocky road of recovery and how how rocky it has been and how rocky it continues to be. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, um, let me start off by first saying that I was addicted to alcohol and drugs um, in various levels of severity for close to 20 years. Mm. Uh, I've had broken marriages, broken relationships. Um, I've done terrible things. I've had terrible things done to me. Um, but I do my best to have faith in God and not remain in victim mode. Um, tw towards the end of my heaviest period of addiction, I was drinking anywhere close to almost a half gallon of vodka every day and a 24 pack of beer. I mean, I do, the only way I'm alive is by a miracle, yeah. to be honest. I'm, I'm only 5'3 and 160 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that, that's enough alcohol to, to kill somebody my yeah. size. And, yeah. um, you know, my, my mom, I eventually, after, you know, many broken relationships, I, I lived with my mom who uh, she loved me the best she could, uh, but she also enabled me. She uh, allowed me to drink and uh, paid for my drinking habit, which I don't blame her mm -hmm. uh, because she loved me and that was how she knew how to love, to not see me in pain, the, yes. the withdrawals I would go through. I would literally uh, be shaking so bad that I couldn't even stand up if I didn't yeah. have a drink in my system. So uh, she helped me alleviate that. And um, you know, then one day she developed small cell lung cancer Mm -hmm. And my addiction got worse. Uh, her cancer got worse. And she eventually was put in a nursing home. Uh, you know, and I was left in the apartment we shared together by myself. I was not employed. Uh, I could barely get dressed. I was at that point so deep into my addiction that I couldn't even walk down the stairs and two minutes down the street to the local liquor store to pick up my daily drinks. I had to have them delivered. Um, that's how bad it was. And eventually I woke up in the hospital. Uh, you know, this happened many times. I can't even remember how many times I blacked out during my drinking days, but I woke up in the hospital and uh, two weeks prior to that, I had gotten uh, an eviction notice of course, for the apartment I was living in that I was not paying for. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I received notice. Well, I guess this happened before I woke up from the blackout in the hospital, but um, the official eviction notice was enforced and I was no longer allowed to go back to that apartment. So when I woke up in the hospital from that blackout, I was informed that I was officially homeless. Um, it, I think it was not so much a shock because I knew it was going to happen eventually. I actually had a bag packed um, at the apartment full of some clothes and, you know, a little extra money. 
uh, in preparation for the homelessness, I unfortunately couldn't get that bag. Um, I wasn't allowed to go back to the apartment. Um, but I think the thing that really hurt the most that day was that when they were discharging me, I asked to get my clothes, you know, because I'm in the hospital bed in just that little, uh, mm. if you've ever been in the hospital, you know, the yeah. one that opens up in the back, that's, yeah. that's all I'm wearing. Like, can I get my clothes before I leave? So um, the nurses kept looking for my clothes and they couldn't find them. And then it was eventually disclosed that um, I was rushed to the hospital completely naked <laughs> as the day I was born. Uh, I don't know to this day who called the ambulance on me or, mm -hmm. or oh, it's a miracle that, you know, I'm alive. I could have died in that apartment. Um, but, you know, they were nice enough to give me a set of hospital scrubs, the the little thin pants, and yeah. the, the shirt, you know, not the one that opens up in the back. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, just a very thin, flimsy thing and a, and a pair of slipper socks. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I wasn't, you know, I was able to walk out of the hospital clothed. And um, I just want to add a side note. I am smiling right now <laughs> just out of gratitude because I know where the story is right now. Like, so <laughs> this, this is not making me sad one bit. Um, it's actually filling me with joy. So um, as I'm about to walk out of the hospital, it starts pouring rain, mm. pour, pouring rain. So I walk out into this pouring rainstorm with no hope. Um, and the first place I go to is the uh, nursing home where my mom is at. And I continue to go there every day to visit her. Um, and of course, she would give me money. She, she, was still, she still had some money and she would give me money to go up the street and buy my little pints of vodka so I didn't have my shakes. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually the staff at the nursing home, uh, they started receiving complaints from the other people that were visiting their loved ones uh, because of the fact that they thought I worked there because I, I was still in the hospital scrubs. Uh, <laughs> so, so they thought that I was just this orderly nurse that was just sitting out front. You know, I had holes in the scrubs by this point from sleeping on benches and, um, and they, and they thought I worked there. So like, why does one of your workers have holes in his scrubs and, and drinking? Why does he smell like vodka? So the, the owner told me I couldn't come back there anymore. Uh, and, um, uh, I probably could have made arrangements if I sobered up to, uh, you know, go visit my mom before she died. But she unfortunately passed away two weeks later after I was officially, um, barred from visiting her anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know my i continued to spy i lost it that was my only um person that i had in my life besides the few homeless friends that i made mm -hmm. and uh you know my my spirit declined i had never felt so empty in my life up to that point because my mom was my rock mm -hmm. uh, she was always there for me um you could almost say she was like a god to me because she provided for me i was always safe i was always protected mm -hmm. and and that protection was gone. So my, my drinking progressively got worse and I was homeless for a little close to three years up and down the East Coast. I'm originally up from Massachusetts. I came mm -hmm. down here to escape the cold. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's yeah. just say that the, uh, the homeless population is treated more kindly up north than they were down here. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, Florida is more of a tourist state. Yes. And, uh, you know, so we, we were, uh, the, the homeless population suffered a lot uh, more down here than they did up north. Up north, people tended to be nicer and more caring towards them and uh, more tolerant, I guess you could say. And um, because of the atmosphere that was produced down here of the mistreatment of the homeless, um, the homeless would mistreat each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's while everyone has decisions and choices to make, mm -hmm. our environment also does have an effect on the decisions and choices that we make. Um, yeah, there's a, there was, um, I just recorded, um, actually her episode uploaded, yes, uh, yeah today or yesterday and um she was talking about she was a social worker in new york 
Right? Mm-hmm. And um, she said that the homeless guy, she homeless guy asked her because she works with him. So you know what the hardest thing about being homeless is? She was spitting out all these services, right? Just going down the list, right? And you know what he said? Loneliness. Loneliness. That's it. Loneliness wow. was the hardest thing. And she for her, she's like, uh, she, you know, she's like, she would never have guessed that because she had her social worker hat on. You know what I mean? But it's just it just shows you how much we are not islands. How it matters. Like you said, the environment, you know. You know, it's one of those things that people don't actually consider you know you have maslow's hierarchy of need you know and you got place to stay food those things are important but if you're not able to connect with everyone if everyone just turns their back on you it's gonna affect you it's gonna affect you in a way that you might not notice at first but like you described the way people treat people down here actually bleeds over how they treat each other you know and Mm -hmm. It's it's a sad. Yeah, I just want to ask you, um, just one um, one question. You continue. Um, is like, you know, leading up. You know, you're telling a lot of you know some of the horrible things that have happened to you. You know, you're just beginning to go through it, and um, you know, the idea of shame and guilt is very present in certain cultures more so than others, right? Um, did you and how did for you how do you internalize it for me I just saying did you carry around that and you know for me I'm just asking this question because a lot of people who go through traumatic events I'm sure you're going to share with us some more like being homeless you know and then when you make that decision to get the help that you need you know and you go through these horrible things in your life the concept of the day after is very, very apparent. You know, it's like you get like you get the support, but like when you're actually out there, you know, let's say afterwards, the day after whatever traumatic event or situation you've been into is how do you maintain that day after? You don't have to ask, answer that fully. I just kind of want to know basically shame and guilt. How much did that play in your recovery? during this period because I'm just I'm just asking because obviously your mom dying and not being able but at the same time I know being intoxicated it numbs it but later on when you sober up and you realize these things it's hard it's hard I can't so the 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 shame and guilt um you know played many factors in my recovery of course there was the shame and the guilt I felt over not being able to be there from my mom Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, the alcohol would numb that the drugs would numb that. And, yeah. uh, it, 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 it barely, it barely came back because I was almost in a nonstop state of numbness, to be <laughs> honest, during yeah. my homeless years. I mean, the, 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 the general population up North in Boston is very, very generous to the homeless population. So I probably, to be honest, had more money than the people that were actually giving the money to me at some yeah, points. Yes. To be to be real, uh, uh, like we, we never really went without. So shame and guilt wasn't something I really um, had mm-hmm. up in Boston too much mm-hmm. um, because of how well the population was treated and how numb I was. I I actually deluded myself into, uh, you know, thinking I was a street performer. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I, would, I would make people laugh, you know, I would, I would have a cowbell and hit the cowbell. I would just do weird things and, yeah. you know, and people would laugh, you know, and uh, it was, um, and, and, and um, the funny thing is I can look warmly back on these memories, even though it was painful a painful process to go through so it's it's like i'm in love with myself in a good sense not in love but i love myself yeah if that if that um makes any sense in a healthy way like i love every aspect the good the bad you know it's it's me if you can't love yourself then you can't expect to love another or to receive love properly but um i think where the real shame and guilt came in was when i came down to florida and uh, realized there was a shift uh, in the environment because up north 
we all took care of each other. Um, the, the, the general public took care of the homeless, the homeless took care of the homeless. We were all a community up there. Uh, down here, it was the complete opposite. It was every man for himself. Yeah. Uh, and um, there were two instances prior to my own personal action that was committed against another that um, produced a, a cauldron of just pain, shame, and guilt is, uh, the first was, I was offered, um, there was a pouring rainstorm and a fellow homeless person um, offered me to stay in his tent with him um, overnight in the rainstorm. And I will give a trigger warning uh, to anyone listening uh, that does not want to hear anything. This may be traumatic if you have suffered uh, sexual abuse of any sort. So if that makes you feel uncomfortable, um, please stop listening for a few moments. I won't go into deep details. Um, but to begin, uh, I woke up halfway in the middle of the night and um, I was sexually assaulted in the tent. And uh, the day after, you know, I told all of my homeless friends about it, uh, what he did, and they didn't care. Uh, it almost seemed like it was commonplace and like I was paying my rent, quote unquote. So I, that started to erode at my soul and the alcohol was beginning to no longer numb the shame and the guilt I felt at this and, and I, my soul was becoming blacker I could feel it and um, the second instance was um, I was sleeping I was taking a nap in the middle of the day in uh, you know my usual sleeping spot and I woke up to being kicked in the ribs face uh, head uh, chest um, I was going in and out of consciousness and all I remember before waking up in the hospital was stop, let him live. Uh, and I woke up in the hospital with my orbital bone on, um, I can't remember if it was my left and my right eye, uh, was fractured in three places and I was lucky to be alive. I was be beaten within an inch of my life by uh, what turned out to be fellow homeless um, friends of mine, it turned out. Uh, so, um, that was very traumatic and the shame and the guilt and it, it, I think it was just like not being heard and like there was, there was no justice, like the, the, they didn't get in trouble for it. And, um, you know, I just, I felt so alone and I can relate so much to whoever said that, you know, the, the biggest problem they had while being homeless was that loneliness uh, so I can, I can definitely connect with that person on that level. And I can also say one of the hardest things about being homeless um, is not having a place to sleep safe yeah. uh, for me because of what I went through. Yeah. Uh, and and it, I literally could barely sleep at that point. And uh, it was just terrible. And because of my addiction, I had no desire to even try to go into a shelter because of their requirements to you know not bring liquor into the place and and it was at that point that I um, I became involved in an altercation with a fellow homeless person a very close friend of mine actually and it unfortunately resulted in his death and um, that was where the shame and the guilt yeah. hit me like the biggest ton of bricks like this hearing about my mom passing away was nothing compared to this you know I, I it was this guy was going around robbing a bunch of homeless people and we just got into a fight with him and he lost his life yeah and when I found out the next morning I could just feel my heart and soul just drop yeah. and I was just like I was empty uh, and I just I, I couldn't process it and I just started walking uh, my friend my, my friend told me he said Brad died last night I was like what did he die from he said you don't remember that fight that y'all got into him with and I said yeah he died what and I, I couldn't connect it because it, it just didn't make any sense to me because I, 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 I just I couldn't believe it. I would never in my life would I imagine that I would inflict harm 
upon someone you know and it, and it, and it wasn't intended i mean yeah whew, it was just yeah uh, i can't even place words around it to explain how yeah. terrible and traumatic that situation is uh it haunts me to this day but i walked and i didn't realize it at the time but i was walking right to the police station mm. I, I and you know and I I almost think that God was directing my steps and you know as I'm walking to the police station and it dawned on me that I was walking towards the police station I just kept going I I said I'm not I'm not going to run from this I was scared I was terrified but those feelings were nothing in comparison to the guilt and shame I felt and how terrible I felt that someone's life was ended whether it was intended or not mm-hmm. because of a choice that i made to partake in a violent act mm. and uh, yeah a, a cop pulled up to me and mind you this was the meanest cop in the city where i got arrested and he was known as like the homeless hater and uh as soon as he pulled up the car to me he said you know why i am here right and i said yes sir and i just put my hands out you know for him to cuff me you know i just yeah. you know here here yeah here i am and um he knew i was sick and i think just thing just something inside him could tell that i needed help at that moment and he actually took me to the hospital mm-hmm. uh got me something to eat and uh you know i was medicated because at that point i was going through some terrible withdrawals from mm-hmm. not having any alcohol in my system and of course i was arrested and booked and uh i i confessed to my entire involvement mm. in this altercation and you know then i was booked further into jail and i don't think it really all hit me until i was i to anyone listening who's ever been in a county jail um and been in the infirmary you'll know about the boat <laughs> the boat is it's a plastic um frame bed frame that they put on the floor and then they throw a mat on it and uh the infirmary in the county jail was so overflowed with uh you know people in there that's where they place the overflow and i woke up on this boat with uh my uh charge sheet that said you know you are charged with second degree murder and uh, yeah at at that moment i mean the the process of confessing um to the police and accepting that charge is really what triggered giving my life completely to Christ, you know, to my faith. Mm-hmm. And just I don't want to say it was instant, you know, for everyone mm-hmm. it's different, but for me um it took a few it, t- it took a few months. It took a yeah. few months to really get that peace. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was eventually transferred out of the infirmary and I was put into um you know, the general population uh you know for people that have committed or have been charged with similar crimes as the ones I was charged with. Mm. And um to be honest, like the people in that county jail that practice the Christian faith mm. are the strongest was the strongest group of faith I have ever been a part of. Mm-hmm. I mean there was people in there that one of my closest friends he he was high on methamphetamines and he accidentally um got into a fight with someone and stabbed him in the chest like 37 times with a screwdriver and to see this man cry over what he had done under the influence of drugs and begging for God's mercy like it's just it, I can't I can't explain how yeah how the level of forgiveness like and like we would just put our arms each other like listen god forgives you for that yeah he knows your heart man like he knows that and and to see that level of faith in people and the terrible terrible things that people have committed and you know i do want to say on a side note that um you know in in christian faith you know all sins are equal you know all of sin um you know sin against god and if you sin you're you know you're worthy of death but you know unfortunately we live in a human nature world that is broken and people judge other things 
you know, on different levels. Yeah. Like, oh, that crime is so much worse than that crime, or that is so much worse than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that because but because of the fact that there were so many high level bad acts in this community that I was in, it was just like a whole new level of grace. Just it was just amazing, and um, so I was filled with faith. Uh, at this point you know I gave my life to Christ and I was studying the Bible Mm -hmm. and at that point I honestly um, I didn't know if I was ever going to see the light of day again I didn't know if I was going to get life in prison I didn't know if I was going to get five years in prison ten years in I had no idea yeah but but I honestly like deep down I really didn't care yeah. at that point I didn't care because I knew that God had forgiven me I was content I was at peace I was gaining my sobriety mm-hmm. um, and I was gaining my life back I was gaining my choices back and I know that may sound weird that you're that someone would say they're gaining their choices back when they're in in prison or in jail but I gained the ability and the choice to use my mind the way I wanted to and to think about the things I wanted to and to reflect upon the things I wanted to. You know, what kind of changes did I want to make in my life? What, 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 what effect or impact did I want to make on the people that surrounded me? And it was just a, such an energizing feeling to go through. And I, I was in county jail for about a year and a half. And um, I eventually, uh, they dropped the charges down to a lower charge and I accepted uh, a deal to do seven years in prison. Mm. And this was after much prayer. I wasn't going to give up. They, you know, they, uh, it was in, and just the, when I came back to that, um, jail pod and told everybody the news that, you know, I got that deal for seven years. Like it was just like, a, a Christian celebration <laughs> but, but even even the guards because like I, I, during my time there I had gotten to know the guards and they knew I wasn't you know this terrible person that was out trying to hurt people they knew that it was just like an isolated event that it, it while it was a terrible thing it wasn't intended and like everybody was rooting for me so yeah. so it like it not only increased my faith to see that but it also increased everybody else's faith to see like wow god can perform miracles in people's lives you know and, yeah. and, and he can work a work and wow I, I i devoted my time in prison to um whatever self-betterment program i could get into you know getting closer to god christian activities um i joined a public speaking club called toastmasters international um I spoke in front of crowds of up to 120 people in my prison time. Mm. It was such an amazing experience to share my story mm. and to and to 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 be valued as a person that can um, walk a road of recovery. And it was just such a great experience. And um, you know, the shame and the guilt at that point were completely gone. Um, yeah. You know, because I was a valuable contributor. Um, to not only the, the my fellow prisoners' lives with you know the inspiration that God gave them through me, but also to the guards. Yeah. Like the guards in the prison would honestly like they would come to me and say, "I am in awe of you. Like, how did you get this charge? Mm-hmm. You are you are not that person. Like, <laughs> yeah. You, you wouldn't hurt a fly. Like." I, to tell me like how did you how did you get from there to here and i was i would share my testimony with them and they'd be like wow you're yeah he, he go, and they would tell me they say you are destined for great things and, and and it was just so inspiring and um you know unfortunately the shame and the guilt came back uh once i got out of prison and was released you know i'm very very content uh, i'm very happy to be free uh I'm very, very happy. I have a wonderful and amazing angel-like wife. She is the most amazing woman that has ever come into my life. I have a roof over my head. I don't currently have a job, unfortunately, uh, which is where the shame and the guilt comes in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once I was released from prison, you know, I I was forced to, uh, I tell my wife all the time, in prison, I was a big fish in a small pond. And out here in the real world, I'm, 
I'm like a guppy in a world <laughs> full of sharks. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I no longer, you know, have that, um, you know, in jail, they'll call it street cred. <laughs> yeah, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it's very difficult because uh, I live in the reality that Christ has forgiven me from my past and that, you know, it's as far as yeast is from the West, it doesn't exist in his eyes. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's still the stigma of someone with a criminal background that bars me from getting employment at quite a lot of places. Yeah. Um, even assistance. Uh, there are um, prison reentry programs here in mm-hmm. Jacksonville. Um, I don't know if this has changed, you know, since I was released from prison back in 2016. But um, the prison reentry programs that I tried to go through, they wouldn't help anyone with a violent offense on their record. Mm. Um, most jobs won't hire someone with a violent offense on their record. Yeah. And while there is a lot of headway that is being done for people that have drug offenses, there's not a lot of headway in the um, violent crime um, yeah. aspect of it, which is, um, you know, it's interesting because unless you're unless you're a serial killer or like you get joy out of hurting people, mm-hmm. the chances of someone actually inflicting harm on another person after taking someone's life uh, i mean at least in my instance i i can tell you right now it's a zero <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's i mean that was the most a traumatic event in my my life uh, yeah. nothing could ever or would ever compare to that it's just it, it it does let's just put it this way that event traumatized me so much mm-hmm. that honestly i i i don't know if it's god that took away the desire to drink or the trauma from <laughs> what happened while the last time i drank but i have literally never had a craving to pick up yeah. a drink since, yeah since that never like i i can i actually do this i'll walk in the supermarket down the um alcohol aisle and i'll just stop and i'll look at the beer and i'll be like i hate you <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. may be good you may be good for other people but no, not, not for Ew. me. Yeah, you're gross. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, before, you know, in the beginning, I was talking about forgiveness, and I was I'm listening to your story, and a lot of people forget that they had to forgive themselves. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. you you are provided in the most unlikely places. People may think a jail when he went to jail, a place to heal. A place mm-hmm. to grow, you know. The thing, uh, you know, one of the things I keep hearing is value. You know, you you're gaining back those value, and it's hard. Yeah, I I don't minimize, you know, going getting out of jail. I know some people who struggle real hard, especially with violent crimes, to get anything, anything, on. on. So, for me, it's just, it's a constant thing. We never, you know, people in recovery, whether you have a criminal record or you're just struggling. The idea of maintaining and continue to to produce and recognize that you have value. One thing I like is one author said. He says, "My value does not hinge on me being a hundred percent all the time. It doesn't. It's impossible. Okay, my value does not hinge on me not making a mistake. It's gonna happen. You know, what I mean, the thing about it is this. You know, when we when we think about recovery and we think about this 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 horrible experience that you went through but you, we always know especially pe- peers like ourselves that there's always someone worse than us you know and there's always someone better in the mainstream sense you know but the thing is uh we you know i like how you talk about faith you know because in with with my faith with the faith that i i do i do i do events you've come to some of my events and why do i do it i don't get you know i'm on a disability i don't get you know mainstream society is like what do you get what do i get because helping people you know serving people is my recovery helping people is my healing you know that's basically it this for me share um showcasing stories like yourself helps me see things helps me grow and you know it's about this this idea of community you know if, if one person is excluded from a community it's not a community 
You know, I mean, the idea of that we all play a part. And I like how you're talking. You actually answered the question I asked earlier. What did you do the day after? That was like when you went to prison. You know, what did you do? You started connecting. You, you embrace God and faith, and you understand this idea that, at least, you know, in this world, yeah, people are very selfish. You know, people are very entitled. You're very in their bubbles. But the one thing that you know that's encouraging with my faith with with God is that He's like the prodigal son. That whole story. You do what? <laughs> you're walking back. Head down, and he runs, and he embraces you. Doesn't care. He's just embracing, and it's just like that's the picture I have when I think about God. Because the idea is, it, it provides that space to heal. You know, I did, I do like, you know, there's always going to be factors in our recovery. You know, I I do a group, and no matter how well your recovery is, life still happens. Whether you're doing great in your recovery or not. You step out the door. There's tons of traumas out there, you know. Especially the mo- people get close to you. You know, I'm getting married this year in September, right? So congratulations. It's it's one of those things that you're like, like you know. And the one thing about you know faith and everything like that is just like you're not going to know everything, but you're gonna you know. It's like when when I first got baptized, when I first decided one of the biggest events, like even me getting married. Do I know everything that's going ahead? But the, the idea is this, that you're willing. Willingness is one of the biggest things. It's so small, it kind of gets under, but just that little sense of willingness may save someone's life. You know, when you, ha- when you provide a safe place and that person goes to it to get, and he's struggling, he's thinking about killing himself or having suicidal thoughts. If he doesn't think the place or his home or wherever he is at is a safe place, He's not going to get the help most times than none. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't feel he can. You know what I mean? And the people out there who are saying, I don't have mental illness. I don't have substance abuse. I don't understand. Well, the thing, what, how, do, how does this relate to me? The idea is this. Listening. You say people, the biggest thing I hear in groups, especially the ones I do, is that they're not feeling that, like they're being heard. And then they feel like they're not being heard even with the support that's supposedly around them. You know what I mean? So... So it's just this idea like people who are not, don't have, you know, they're not diagnosed with mental illness or they don't have struggle with substance abuse. What I would say to them is that you have to be willing to listen because when you're willing to listen, you're, you're, um, you're providing that safe place. You don't have to agree with everything. You know, it's just what, this one thing that um, I do, do like that funny thing is actually Bob Marley says, um, he says this, um, Truth is everybody is going to be going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones who who's worth suffering for. <laughs> Cuz yeah. honestly, it's funny as Bob Marley said that. I saw I found that quote, I thought it was hilarious, but it's true. And all to even go further, the walls you we build around us to keep from sadness or from hurt out also keeps out the joy. You know, there always is a risk, but some of the one some of the most special people in our lives are the ones we are willing to risk and some of the most vital things with choices we make are us risking to get that help you risking to go to the to the police station you know what i mean you just knew you know because at the same time it's one of those things that i find very inspiring with your story is that you recognize that it's it's not about you it's about your it's about it's about healing it's about it's about growing, you know, the idea is like when we talk about faith, you know, you mentioned faith a bit is when I go to church and I'm, I'm leading church, the one thing that is troublesome in churches sometimes is this idea that I know a lot of stuff, you know, they know a lot of stuff. They've been maybe even in the church all their lives, but they also kind of have this problem of moving forward because they have to know every single corner before they move forward. You know what I mean? But if they really remember their faith, even if they don't have one of those traumatic baptismal stories, they still didn't know everything when they first became baptized. You know, there's this idea of like, you don't need to know everything. That's where the faith comes in. And I do like the idea that um, this one person says when it comes to healing. It's from Rachel Naomi Remen. And she said, healing may not be so much about getting better. 
as about letting go of everything that isn't you. All the expectations, all of the beliefs, and becoming who you are. You know, so it's just really, um, there's a lot of weight, there's a lot of baggage that we put on ourselves. Not to say it's not self-inflicted, but what, what we talk about shame and guilt, when we talk about stigma, shame and guilt does not help. You can look at the statistics. I have not yet to see that shame and guilt has made any improvements on the suicide rate or substance abuse rate. And people do it all the time, thinking, oh, you know, you just know this, but really people want to be heard. They want to know that you that you're willing to walk that mile. But it's not just one person. It's all of us playing a part. Um, I just want to kind of um, stretch forward and ask you, you know, you answered a lot of things that I was going to ask you, but I want to ask you if there's someone listening to this podcast today who has a similar story as yourself, what advice would you share with them right now? That's a very, very good question. And I would have to say, if there's anyone out there listening right now that has a similar story to mine, just know that, that you are not alone. Um, you are valued and and you are you are loved um it doesn't matter what you do uh or or who you are but it's it's very tough to to give advice because i'm trained not to give advice yeah i know so i guess the idea is really just um as you were saying and like um value yourself finding value fundamentally kind of adopting the idea of being grateful for what you have you know what i mean and, Those and are, you know, i will okay. i will i will say this i do have one word of advice that i would like to share with anyone who is going through a similar situation as mine uh it's, it was shared with me by a speaker we had when i was in prison and he told us about choices and he told us that uh, you guys here in prison, you don't have many choices because you made bad choices in the past. And when you make bad choices, the choices you have after that are limited. When you start making good choices, the amount of choices that you have after that will increase. Mm. So if you, you have a choice today, right now as you're listening to this, to make choices about everything in your life if if you make at least one good choice a day eventually your your the amount of choices you have are going to increase so don't give in to negativity mm. try your best to stay positive take care of your mind your body your soul your spirit because you are a whole person and you are valued you are loved and you're important whether you believe it or not Thank you. And I want to share this one quote. It says, live life as though nobody's watching and express yourself as though everybody is listening. It's interesting. It's just kind of this, um, this balancing act that we have because we kind of ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? You know, thank you so much for sharing your story. I just want to give you the opportunity to add any, any last thoughts you wanted to share with, everyone listening to you about your story and we're going to get into what you're doing today so that's going to be after we wrap up your main okay. portion and um any and and then uh any regard anything regarding your recovery that you would like to kind of wrap up kind of um just last last thoughts you before i ask the last question that i'm going to ask afterwards uh ju just about my recovery it's it's an ongoing process it's it's never going to end you know, mm -hmm. and it's it's just life. Life is recovery. Yes, life is healing. You know, the one the wonderful thing about being a person in faith is, and I kind of uh, forgot to mention this is, you know, the idea that we're never gonna make it. You know, I'm up here going through recovery. I'm never gonna say that I made it. You know, but in the, our faith as Christians, we know that it's the same truth. We're always on this journey. We're never gonna say we made it. You know, what I mean, we're just kind of. We kind of continue, like we said, as it's not about how many times you fall, it's about how many times you get up, you know, mm -hmm. trying to make the right choices to provide, like you said, more choices. The, the bad choices you make limit sometimes your choices that you may have at that point. Thank you again. I just want to ask this one question I'm asking all my guests. 
And finally, the question Revive Ministry Podcast is trying to answer as a community of people around the world, because I don't see borders regarding these kind of issues. Why should we care? Awful question, but it's it's a, it's a, it's a important one. So why should we care? Those who are listening, you know, those who might be like the ones who don't understand. Why should we care? You should care because the things that happened to me and the things that I did could happen to any person in the world. Uh, we are all one bad decision away from a prison sentence. We are all one bad decision away from an addiction. And we are all one bad decision away from losing everything uh, in our lives that is good. Um, you should also care because there's what you see in other people's lives is only the tip of the iceberg. You don't know all of their history, what has happened to them, what they've been through. Um, you don't know them as a person, you know, mm -hmm. and you should care also because we're all recovering from something. I yeah. mean, if yeah. you really, if you really think about it, what is, what is it the root of all suffering? Trauma, yeah. trauma, uh, whether it's physical or whether it's mental, you could be, you could suffer a mental uh, injury. Mm -hmm. You could suffer a physical injury, you know, trauma to the body. That's, mm -hmm. that's how addiction start is it's the root of trauma. I, I have a friend who became addicted to opiates who had never touched drugs in his life because he suffered a physical injury, trauma to his body. And he got mm -hmm. hooked on the painkillers and eventually overdosed on heroin. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's also that aspect of trauma uh, which isn't talked about that often, you know, yeah. mental trauma causes addiction. No one wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, you know, ruin my life with heroin. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go do this. <laughs> you know, no one does that. So no. it's always rooted in some type of trauma and no one is immune from trauma. So if, if you take anything away from that care, because I mean, it could happen to you. It could happen to your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter. Anyone, you know, could be in my shoes at some yeah. point if they, if, if the given the, the wrong ingredients. Yeah. And it's just kind of shifting from the us and them mentality that a lot of people feel comfortable in, but more of us, all of us, all of us play mm -hmm. part yeah you know revive ministry's stance on this is why should we care because we can't afford not to and that's basically what you've been saying thank you robert for sharing your story with us today now i'd like to give kind of shift gears and give you time to share with us what you're up to today you know if you don't know the actual sites it's all going to be in the notes of the episode so people the people listening could actually go to it so anything you wanted to share what you're what you're doing today update of Robert well my, my personal update is um, I'm currently in the process um, I will be eligible to start the exemption process to become a certified peer specialist on May 17th of this year that's awesome that's time wise awesome. I yeah. still need I still need to pay off about $1,500 in fines mm -hmm. um, that I owe before I'm eligible to do that and I unfortunately lost my job back mm -hmm. in uh, November my client rather uh, because of the um, my inability to get jobs because of my felony, I just started becoming a sole proprietor and doing independent contractor work, such as digital marketing, uh, stuff like that. You know, I excel at computer work and writing. Um, I'm also working on my eighth and ninth books right now. I'm working on a uh, Bible devotional. Mm -hmm. And I'm also working on a children's book. It's uh, actually based on our cats. And the goal of this book is to raise awareness that um, a disability doesn't make you less able. Uh, one of our cats is blind and he is such an inspiration to me and it's going to be based on him. He will be the main character throughout the book. And it's just going to be an uplifting story for children um, to raise awareness about um, living with a disability and that a disability does not, you know, make you less valuable or less able. Any resources you'd like to share that you found useful regarding, you know, your, with your story? Any 
resources that really stood out to you that was helpful for you that you want to share in the notes? I would, I would have to say, I mean, honestly, Toastmasters International is an amazing organization mm -hmm. to join up with. Uh, they teach public speaking and leadership skills. And if you would have known me as a child, a teenager, and even a young adult, you would not believe that I am speaking like this right now. I was very introverted mm -hmm. and this club is amazing and it will uh, teach you about yourself and um, some very, very valuable skills. Um, other, other resources that have been very valuable to me, of course, the Bible, number one. Um, history is always great. Um, uh, I, I, this is something that helped me that was very, very important to me. I grew up um, pretty much without a father. He was there off and on. But I, during my prison time, I read biographies of uh, both men and women who led lives that you know I wanted to lead, that I wanted to live examples of great men and women. And I, I was kind of raised by these by reading these biographies. So mm -hmm. they kind of became like my surrogate parents in a <laughs> sense. Uh, I know that sounds weird, but just like reading the examples of uh, you know the choices they made and what they did, you know, it, it helped me to think about the kind of choices that I wanted to make in life and you know what I wanted to value. But um, those are just some resources that have helped me throughout the years. Uh, you know, also groups, uh, Celebrate Recovery is a, is an, a great 12-step group to go to uh, if you need a support system. Um, and uh, really, uh, just uh, reach out. You know, there's, there's groups everywhere. Um, well, I don't really know about any other place but besides my area, but we're blessed in Jacksonville to have a lot of great groups. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and, and here, here's an inspiring thought, too. If there's not a group in your area, start one. Yeah. Call a local church. Say, hey, can I use one of your rooms to, um, you know, have a mental health support group or an addiction support group, yeah. um, you know, one night a week. It's a phone call. And the worst I could say is no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's really about it on that end. Thank you again for being a guest. Any last thoughts, you know, that you want to share before we wrap up here? I just, I just want to say if, if your, if your road to recovery is rocky, uh, just, just realize that the mountains are there for a reason. You know, they're there to climb, not yeah. to, not to, not to block you from your goal. You yeah. know, yeah, it's just, it just keep moving forward. And, um, and keep looking up healing healing is a process and you are worth it you know one thing i just want to share is uh you know just hearing that was the story of joseph in the bible right everyone's kind of like oh he went he went through 15 years of horribleness you know in the bible and the one thing that everyone just looks at how you know god used him as an instrument he did a lot of great things but the thing that I, stood out to me was the brothers who put him there right the thing is joseph went through that in, in in my faith in my belief is because he had to go through all those years because it prepared him to what forgive forgive his brothers because all of us you know when when it, when it comes to healing it doesn't just start start with a person who's addicted who's everyone's affected you all, being a peer you know that like if i if if I get Baker acted, it affects everyone that's connected to me. You know what I mean? If I get hurt, it affects everyone. And, and us lying to ourselves is... So when it comes to those mountains, per se, those rocky roads to recovery, we have to remember some of the biggest growth is going through those, those things. You know, it's not, we don't learn much from our successes, but we definitely learn a lot from our failures. You know what I mean? So... Um, I just want to share that. Anyway, thanks again, Robert, for sharing your story. It was really, it was an inspiration. It was really, it was just really great to have you on right now. So right now we're just going to shift and say, this is goodbye from Revive Ministry Podcast. Please check out our website for updates and the latest episodes on the, on the podcast on Revive Ministries, fl.com forward slash podcast. Um, I just wanted to say also, if anyone out there, has a story that they would like to share please go to the website you know connect with me there i'm really just trying to really 
fill up the schedule for 2020. My goal is to have a story of recovery every single Tuesday of this year, 2020. So if you know someone, it doesn't matter where they are, as long as they have a computer or a smartphone, we can make it happen. You know, I just want to showcase every aspect, faith, non-faith. The thing is, we're just trying to showcase that there's hope out there and we could make our choices out of hope versus fear. I will leave you with this quote and it says, by far the strongest poison to a human spirit is the inability to forgive oneself or another person. Forgive is, is no longer an option, but, but a necessity for healing.